Jones got the sit, one hand. Oh, to the top. He is an absolute legend of the game. This is your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Oh, Matthew, are we celebrating a footy life? I, I try to come up with six or seven names who are bigger than this guy, so you've got an inkling that it both uh, on and off the field as a player and a coach and now in his, uh, in his, in his twilight, he's still just shining like a beacon. 251 games for the Tigers between 67 and 79. Three VFL premierships with the Tigers, 69, 73, 74. Team of the century back pocket for Richmond. Richmond, best and fairest, 76. Captain, 78. 29 years as a VFL-AFL coach for Essendon and GWS. And aren't they looking the goods? Four-time Premiership Copes, three-time All-Australian coach, Australian Football Hall of Fame. Of course, it's Kevin Sheedy. And great to have you on the show, and thanks for your time. Thanks, Rex. It's uh, yeah, pretty good to be here. I've been uh, doing a lot of radio and TV, obviously, because I sort of like to work under the radar a bit. Yeah, I, I understand that. But, but, but when I said earlier on, I've come up with five or six names, and I won't embarrass, embarrass you, and this is in the history of the game, that are no bigger than yours and no less than yours. And I just think it's fantastic. Going back to a kid at Paran, <clears throat> you obviously had a fantastic mindset. You lost your father early. You went to Richmond with the, with the great Tommy Hafey. Was this all set up years ago when you were in short pants selling papers? Oh, look, your, your dream. I think I often speak to a lot of kids out there in the schools about don't stop dreaming, really, to be honest. I think that... Um as soon as we want to uh, turn up to be an adult, we stop dreaming and <laughs> we don't announce it sort of thing. But uh, look, I, I personally thought that, you know, probably started for me when I went to St. Ignatius and kept looking at them out the school window building the Olympic Games in 1956. So I thought, really? how do we get in the MCG? It's a big fence to jump. Yeah, particularly for the Olympics because there's only been one in Melbourne and may well in, well in our lifetime there'll only be one. Uh, tell us about the earliest recollections of your footy career at Tri Boys, at school, uh, playing footy with Kevin Bartlett. Tell us about the early, early inner Melbourne upbringing of the young Kevin Sheedy. Well, hardly there would be not many footies around because not many kids had the money to have a football. So we used to obviously play with tennis balls and rolled up paper footies and that sort of stuff. And that was pretty good because it was just innovative, you know, we had a great time. And uh, the ones they did bring out in those days were a very hard, dark brown plastic football that nearly oh, broke, broke your foot every did. time you kick one. So it's great to see the, the sort of uh, balls out there with the pimples on it, with a, you know, a bit softer now. I think that's really been smart. Um, and being involved in the, the full-time job at Richmond, we, we got actually got that done right in the, in the 70s there. So... Oh, look, nobody had any money in the in the 50s and 60s when I started coming through. And um, But, look, it was really good because uh, we used to go and watch uh, Sunday football at Faulkner Park. Yeah, uh, that was Pran the v- and the VFA. Yeah, well, that was – no, that's VFA football yeah. on Saturdays and where I played. Oh, yes. We played a premiership in 50 games there. That was really, really pleasing to be able to probably start there because it really gave a good feel about um, – about the local area because it was a very different local area and it probably has changed now because different sections and, and uh, of streets and street alignments like uh, you've got Turak at one end and Pran 
um, not a very, very wealthy area <laughs> in South Yarra, which is yeah. a lot wealthier now, but wasn't really that sort of wealthy between, say, uh, Turak Road and uh, Malvern Road or Commercial Road as it is now. So no, that's where we all grew up. We all grew up there, Kevin and myself. And um, they were terrific days, a uh, bit of YCW football in Fortland Park. But on, on the weekend, on Sundays, um, they had hotel football. Mm. And, uh, you know, there'd be three or 4,000 people there. And uh, so we would go along there and have a great time and, and you know, like just physically see men up that close um, in their football gear, playing at Faulkner Park with, um, say, you know, the, the, the Market Hotel versus the Exchange mm. Hotel or the Max. So what you want to do. You want to yeah, be a man, yeah, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, my father wasn't into footy. He was into more, you know, he believed that Tullock was a great footballer. <laughs> and um, Farlap was even better sort of stuff. So we had this sort of bit of fun there. So in the end... Um, my brother, Pat, was really the one that taught me about footy. Yeah. Mm. Uh, as an 18-year-old, I played in a premiership in the VFA, and these were before the days of Channel O, which became Channel 10 broadcasting on a Sunday mm. and them making Sunday their own. I think they took two wingmen out to make it better with the blokes kicking all the goals. Probably need Would, to do it now. Yeah, but, but <laughs> there was some nastiness back then between the VFA and VFL, and if you swapped from one code to the other, you were out for five years. Yeah, no, And that was the case with you. How did you get over that? Well, it was... Um, a little bit of difficulty, but mum, with dad had just died at the time, and mum was, uh, she's pretty tough mum. She said, take the five years penalty and, and don't come back and don't look back. So she was pretty straightforward like that. She um, said, basically, get a job, you know, um, uh, seven kids, so we needed to get um, an apprenticeship was on the table. Brown Football Club got me basically in the end, sort of that apprenticeship. Back pocket plumber. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> kick it long, kick it long. <laughs> They were fantastic days. Tell us about uh, the first initiation and introduction to Punt Road, which is where it all began for you at the highest yeah. level. Well, I mean, I got a letter, obviously, you know, from the club, and I, th- I thought I found Australia, you know, very, very strange. That the the uh, general managers, what they call them in those days, was um, a guy called Graham Richmond, and it's very, very different when you get a person by the name of Richmond mm. writing a letter from Richmond Football Club, and I thought that was sort of... That, I mean, it wasn't Harry Collingwood from Collingwood or no, Billy so, Melbourne from Melbourne. It was yeah. Graham Richmond from Richmond. That was quite <laughs> unique. And that was the first thing I said, this is a strange club. Um, anyway, so being at school in Richmond at St Ignatius, you know a little bit about it because mm. Peter Ward, uh, the late Peter Ward, was one of my very, very early teammates at St Ignatius. And uh, yeah. his father, Ron, was always... He's a trainer. Yes. Snowy. And so we knew a lot about Richmond at St Ignatius, but... Um, Anyway, something else, it was a black and red school, and I begged for the Bombers. So going to Richmond, um, Tommy Avery was just fantastic. Yeah, we'll get to him in a moment because he's obviously had a great uh, influence on so many people's career. Kevin Sheedy, if you don't recognise the voice, you've got something wrong with your hearing, please go and get it checked. It's great to have the great man in the studio today talking about his football life. Uh, getting back to Punt Road and with the five-year threat uh, of disqualification from the game over your head, mm. I can remember pre-season, it might have been 66 or, or one around about that, is that you played in the centre against Billy Barrett, Richmond's <laughs> favourite son. And my goodness me, I reckon, and I might be a bit biased, that the Richmond inter-club practice games were sometimes as tough as the real deal. Did you find that? Because it was you either fight or you don't fight and you go home. Yeah, well, that, that was a, that was definitely the way it was. It was um, very challenging, uh, and of course, look, it was dog eat dog. You, know, you want to get a game and you don't. And Kevin Bartlett and I, we actually started off in Melbourne zones, 
we lived in South Yarra, which was actually belonged to Melbourne. Yeah. And uh, by the time, um, you know, we got to um, our teenage years, uh, we were sort of um, down at Richmond at the right time because all of a sudden they recruited a guy called Tom Hafey and, yeah. um, and John Nix, who was a fantastic coach for me. So uh, Jordan was bringing the kids through the under nineteen. Yeah, so yeah. everything was right. I think one year they won every premiership, yeah. you know, in that period, which is very unusual. And um, and you just got a sort of on a roller coaster with the Ricks. Yeah. And in uh, every sort of month, we had a great champion of Australia come and talk to us. And I'd never seen anything like that, you know, to see that, you know, Ron Clark, then Herb Elliott, then, mm. you know, Johnny Famish, and then Lionel Ray. I mean, we just had everybody come Just they so walked in, mm. just just yeah. as if it was, it was the passing parade. And yeah. then, mm. of course, before the 69 Premiership, uh, Percy Serity, they wouldn't allow him to send his uh, <laughs> telegram from the Sorrento uh, post office, and he came in and he read it. And no wonder the lady on the desk wouldn't accept it, but Perse rove up. Said g'day, win the flag and go home, and we did. Yes. No, look, he's, uh, <laughs> he was different because uh, we used to go down to um, Percy's and uh, train down there. It was um, very, very different. He's a very different man, very uh, inspirational type of person in many ways. Uh, way out there and um, used to make the players have a lot of fun. But when his eyes zoned in on you, that he knew that he was talking to your brain. And, uh, and it was, um, look, it was electric. Mm. This is definitely eccentric, but brilliant. And there's not many people that I reckon I've met like that. Probably in Stuart might be one of the others. You Stewie, know, yeah. Stewie was he's a very different man. He's, he's out there, isn't he? He's, he's from another planet. Yeah, but he's good. He's good. He? He's one of the best players that taught me how to play. And yeah. You can't say that about your players, mainly your coaches. But I thought Ian Stewart was... Probably a real acquisition in Richmond. It was a good example of broke every rule of training. You could say, how can this man win three Brownlow medals, yeah. let alone premierships, let alone play 200 games odd? But when he got into a match situation, he was inspirational. No mouth guard, tongue hanging out, and away mm. he went. And you just can't help but l- l- learn off those people? No, no, no. You, you look, I was down at La, La Trobe just recently, and um, the great Daryl Bordock came out of there and uh, went back there, sort of. And, you know, like, <clears throat> I try to learn off great players you play. I was really mm. lucky. Tommy used to put me on some really good players and uh, and when you when you played against um, St Kilda you played on either Bulldog or Stewart and uh, that was uh, that was a learning lesson in itself. These two guys out of Tasmania that just uh, they did they knew how to play and I, I think it's very hard to match them still about some of the great, greatest players. We all hear about the great players of it today but mm. you put those two in today's I'll tell you what they, they take them on and um, and you wouldn't know which one. You think of Rioli and all the players that are very exciting today. Bulldog and Stewart are just like that. As, exactly. As, and Ricks. But it's just another era. It's yeah, like black yeah, and white television. Yeah, it's it's against colour. You know what I mean? Different birth date. That's it is. It's like people smoking in public places. That was what was done. People used to drive home because they were too drunk to walk. Six o'clock closing. And it was. And the fights and all that sort of thing. It was amazing. Before we take our first break, and look, it's just great to catch you because, you know, you're a dear friend of Lynn and I's, and uh, we'll go past that later on. But I noticed that, you know, every now and again, Tommy would say, you know, if you want to train Monday or Wednesday, you do. And a majority of the blokes turned up. But you turned up to learn how to use your left side. Mm. And you knew probably that unless I can use both sides of my body with my current ability, I'm going to struggle. Uh, you put a lot of work into that, didn't you? Because I didn't. It didn't go past me. I just thought this man deserves to do well, and it became actually a force of your game. Your left hand side, which is your wrong side. 
Well, look, it was um, look. I used to watch uh, Beckenbauer and um, Pele and these blokes play mm. play soccer, obviously. And you know, um, when you look at different sports and the talents in other sports, you, you wonder even an evasiveness of a boxer um, like a, a Lionel Rose or um, a George Bracken. These sorts of great Aboriginal boxers that were around early in the days. You you don't and should not miss the talent of another person in sport and um, and why they become great and why they do great things. And I remember speaking just recently at a, um, a girls' college about one of the best lunches I had just recently was with Jessica Watson. And why, oh. why would you and how did you and when did you think about dreaming of sailing around the world at 15. So I like to get to the really important Not question. just sailing around the world, but at 15 yeah. and a female. Oh, goodness me, a lady. <laughs> but what an inspiration that she's got dreams in her head just yeah. like you did. Yeah, yeah. So I, I like to find out about that stuff and transfer just it on to, to uh, other young people in the, in the community. Kevin Sheedy has joined us today on behalf of Tobin Brothers Celebrating Lives before we have to celebrate the life. Kevin Sheedy is a star of the game, and when the game uh, is written in the history... Tell them to take their time ringing me, will you? I'll take the time ringing Sheedy, and that's what it's all about. He's a wonderful man. We've got him here. Kevin Sheedy, join us after the break. This is your football life. You're listening to This Is Your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Dream rises to the top. He is an absolute legend of the game. You're listening to This Is Your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Ah, the back pocket plumber, said Tommy, and he's with us and he's a star and he's just a shining light in our game which is just truly national and uh, it's about to become international in a more aggressive manner. I'm certain of that and I hope that Sheeds and I can sort of see that day when we sort of play regularly out of the country. Uh, 67 uh, was a premiership for Richmond after 23 years of not making the finals. But it was a bittersweet thing for you because a lot of your mates ran around the MCG but you had a big uh, knee injury and had to watch them and it must have hurt. Look, it, it was uh, well. It was a nice hurt because we won, mm. and um, you know, to me, it was about winning the premiership. And uh, I don't know whether I was good enough to be in the side, to be honest, um, at that stage. But because uh, my knee would never give you the right opportunity to find out whether you were good enough or not, particularly in that first year. So anyway, look, I did my knee, and, and in those days, the main worry with a five-year penalty hanging over my head is that I couldn't play anywhere else in Australia. So that was the difficulty of that. Um, but look, we got back. Um, Met a very, very good person, a surgeon, a, a Bill Doig, and Vern Vivian was the doctor. Yeah. So the Vern two and doc- Vivian. Vern and Vivian was a very, very good doctor at Richmond in the days, and um, so I owe a lot to those uh, two people to get me back on track. It's quite incredible that, you know, I remember a bloke called Bill Stevenson, who might have kicked six goals in half a half a game at Junction Oval, came from uh, Sale, 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 where uh, Alan 11. Morrow came from. Unbelievable left-footed powerhouse. Did his knee, never played again, and today, I've even spoken to Bruce Reed about it, he said, oh, four, maybe six weeks. Mm. It's quite incredible. Do you think this is, uh, this is in line with the way the game's gone, with the stress and the pressure on the players? Because back then, there wasn't a lot of uh, the stressy stuff that they do today. No, but there, was, there were injuries that, like Coleman's injury and um, Gleeson, who was a Brownlow medalist, never played again after St. Kilda, winning yeah. Brownlow uh, for St Kilda. So I reckon that 
when you look back, what's grown is sports medicine along with the game mm. and along with the professional sports bodies around the world. So, it, And that's been very, very beneficial for our game. So we shouldn't miss some of the greats that are out there that have kept the great players on the track. So be good one day for you to interview some of those people because I reckon that's important. We think we think about the footy player, but we forget about the people yeah. that assist the game getting and keeping the greats out there. And, of course, um, to me, I was very lucky. I had a very lucky uh, op- opportunity to get back and have a career and um, within two years you're in a premiership. And, and part of that career involved a stint in the Australian Army for two years when the <laughs> yes. government said, you know, all uh, if your marble comes out, you're up for two years. And, you know, I did it personally and, it you know, it wasn't ideal for me because I was a career policeman. But... Uh, it seemed to really spur you on because I personally didn't think it was a great discipline thing because we were already involved in the biggest discipline mm. thing, self-discipline at Richmond. But uh, there was a lot of league players who actually went to Puckapunyal. Yeah, no, we did. Um, look, I, I uh, went in and, um, well, I went in the Monday after a premiership. Mm. I was asked just recently why I wasn't in the premiership photo of 69. I said that's because they took it the week after yeah. the grand final and I was up at uh, Pucker doing my recruit training. Yeah. So, look, the great thing about the Army for me was um, different types of leadership, uh, one. Uh, this is after having Tom Hafey, Graham Richmond, Alan Swab, these sorts of very, very good people. Uh, secondly, um, the reconnaissance. That really was important to learn about how the Army would look at reconnaissance of um, the safety of their, their defence force. Mm. And um, obviously weaponry. I had no, no idea of hand grenades and plastic gelic night and, and machine guns and that sort of stuff. So <clears throat> it, you, it puts you in a very unsafe place that you're not sure of. Um, so all of these sorts of things. And, and to be honest, I got my first coaching job in the Army. Yeah. And, um, and also I think the reconnaissance helped me actually get the Giants into Sydney placed and based um, in the right area, which is Concord. So... It's like a platoon moving from Melbourne or a company and you're going to put him in Western Sydney. It's going to be a brand new football club. Yeah. And that's what you learnt out of the army, how to move a whole division. Yeah. And in this situation, create even a, just a whole football team. So they're, they're skills you draw on, Rex. They are. Just away from football for the moment, Neil Mitchell on 3RW says there's no value in reintroducing uh, national service to young Australians. And I just think national, no national service is one of the reasons why young Australians don't have any vision. Were you like me, and I'll let you answer this honestly, I saw no hopers come off the street who had 35-year careers as uh, commissioned officers in the Australian Army and they might have spent that time in jail. I just thought it was fantastic for the country, for the people, for everything. It gave people a sense of purpose in this country. Mm. Well, I don't know whether, you know, Neil must have, must have, must have been in the Army to be able no, to No, well, obviously he hasn't. Well, yeah. but so unless you've been in the Army or Defence Forces, whether it's Navy or wherever, I think you, um, I think first of all, it is a very important uh, discipline training of, of time, mm. of, uh, of your own health. And well-being, I think that uh, they need to care for each other. Uh, a lot of individuals have never been in a team environment, and that possibly at some stage don't want to. Now we have been in football, obviously, but there are a lot yeah. of people out there that aren't. It brings Australia together because we're the biggest island in the world, and we don't really know each other. The West and the East don't necessarily know each other that much yeah. because. Melbourne to uh, Perth's like flying from London to Moscow. So if you look at all the different reasons why yeah. and why you wouldn't, I think there are more positives out of it. 
And I think, uh, obviously, with um, some of the, uh, the the battles that we have on our land with um, floods and drought and bushfires, I think that, you know, I think national service is a, serves a different purpose. Not mm. It's not about war to me. It's not about going to, to war. It's about national service and, in particular, helping the... Uh, Elderly help with the difficulties of mm. uh, their, their uh, lives later. And I'm talking about, say, properties and so it's answering forth. the call of your country. Yeah, exactly. Instead so, of saying up yours and sitting on a tram track. Yeah, yeah. So, look, and to me, I, I see the value in it, not the value not in it. Can I ask you your philosophy about learning to accept defeat to make you thrive, to become a winner? And I take you back to the 1972 grand final. And I still think if they played it again, the result would have been different a hundred times, but it wasn't. And Carlton kicked a record 28 goals, nine against a Richmond side that we probably thought, and I don't think we got ahead of ourselves that we were real good things. And the next year was the same when Carlton were expected to be real good things. Do you take on board losses and try to learn from them? Do they drive you to the next stage of your you know, thrust to be the very best again? Yeah, I, I think that's... One of the great things about uh, learning in, in your losses that um, look, we kicked forty shots of goals, uh, we equalled the score, so we weren't ahead of ourselves. We're no. actually on on the button. But Carlton had a magnificent day that day. They kicked some very freakish, fantastic goals and deserved their win. But um, look, we come back and won the next two premierships. Um, Tom Hapey made some moves. Eventually, I got out of the back pocket for about four years, which is pleasing. Mm. So. Uh, to you, dear Tom, thank you. I still remember uh, late uh, or just after half time in the 74 grand final, I was sitting in the grandstand. Of course, I'd uh, crossed to Geelong just a straight swap with Gareth Andrews, and I thought to myself, this is good. I got the car, I got the block of land, I got the bank balance, but <laughs> then I got real dark because I knew I was going to mess out on another medallion. Yeah. But uh, look, look, the thing about it is this is, is that. It means as much today as it does back then, and I'm sure that you've been with me at some of these reunions. You see blokes yeah. you haven't seen for 20 years, and they've got to kick you out. The dustman's got to kick you out. He's got to close up the doors because it's as if you've never been apart. And it's like the Army. It's like that in AFL footy. Yeah. Look, I, I think that um, very soon I think the team should go away for a week. Oh, great. Mm, so we need to sit down and organise that because... <laughs> a, a Barmy and the whale, they can uh, yeah, be in charge of catering? I, I don't think a dinner's enough. <laughs> Before we take our what next... What do you think? Well, no, not... It's not because... Look, I, look we're not going to be here forever and uh, our numbers are... Uh, uh, you know, the thing about it is, did we ever back then think that we'd be sitting here today in 2015 after the great uh, win of 1980... Another premiership not available at Richmond. It just makes it so more special. 35 years yeah. ago, which makes 24 years between yeah. its last premiership to 1967. So, look, as we know, the game has got more difficult because there's more teams in it. And it's now the um, AFL, which I'm really pleased that we've connected it and made sure. We did a lot of travel in the in the, in the the um, 80s with Essendon to make sure it become a national game because... We were the only club at that time, probably a little bit with Carlton flying around Australia playing games against mm. other other teams in other cities. And I thought that opened up the gate for an AFL. You've you've played at Richmond, uh, and out of the break, uh, you know, we're just going to invite people next week to uh, tune in because then the great journey at Essendon, you know, really comes to the fore. But Bartlett, Hart, Stewart, Burke, and Roach played with all of them, and many, many more of which Jack Dyer described as good ordinary players. You can be as good as you are, but you've got to have that team around you. There's no doubt. Oh, look, you do. Um, 
look, we knew how great they were, and basically, in many ways, we were support actors. Um, and I like that part of it because uh, every now and then you could teach them something along the way, uh, even though you don't have the talent and the ability of uh, these guys. Um, throw an Ian Stewart, don't forget him. And mm. and then you, you balance it out with a guy like Brian Wood and, and you know Wayne Walsh. I mean, yeah. they, they were just nearly as good as wingmen as Dick Lowe and Francis They Blair. were. And, uh, I mean, Brian Wood played in six grand finals, won four premierships, and if he hadn't been injured at Essendon, he would have played in five premierships and Mate. seven grand finals. Now, you tell me any person... I mean, I thought Brian Wood was very unlucky not to be in Richmond's Hall of Fame. Yeah. That's only my opinion. But that's just the strength of what Richmond was at mm. the time. Okay, just... before we uh, thank you for being part of us today and we come back next week with part two, the Essendon story of Kevin Sheedy, just off the top of your head, who's the greatest player you played alongside? Alongside? Alongside. Well, with... Bart- Bartlett won the most best and fairest in my time, so I credit him with, um, uh, you know, that's your club's... Yeah. Vote on the best player. Ian Stewart would challenge him. The greatest player you played against? Ian Stewart. Favourite player growing up in Paran? Bluey Shelton. Well, there you are. Centre back at Essendon. Uh, Number and, 10. Uh, bluey by hair colour and bluey by punching you to the Scheisenhausen. <laughs> Number 10 is the main reason I wore it at Pran and the main reason I wore it at Richmond was Bluey Shelton. Not John Coleman? No, I didn't see John Coleman at all. Well, I don't think you did, but anyway. No, that's, it. that's OK. Thanks a lot, Kev. You'll join us next week, same place, same time, uh, as we discover part two of Kevin Sheedy's incredible football life, the highs and lows of his coaching career.